Well, guys, again, I want to say good morning. I want to jump right into this passage today. I'm excited about this. We're going to be looking in Matthew chapter 14. If you don't have a Bible, we're going to have it on the side screens here, but I want to encourage you to follow along with us today. Matthew chapter 14, verse 9 says this, the king was distressed, but because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he ordered that her request be granted, and he had John beheaded in prison. Hmm. That's a very interesting way to start the day this morning. Uh, but contextually, what we have here is we have a king. King Herod has imprisoned a prophet of God by the name of John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist uh, was Jesus' cousin. And John the Baptist had a very popular public uh, preaching ministry. In fact, he had a preaching ministry before Jesus had a preaching ministry. And because he had a a big popular preaching ministry, uh, he made quite a few enemies. And he made enemies because he went around preaching repentance. And he would speak to people about uh, the inconsistency in our lives. And and the fact that sometimes our lives don't match up morally to the standard and, and, and to the code of God's law. And he began calling people out in this. And he called out some powerful public figures, some political figures. And in doing so, uh, he frustrated enough people where he wound up in prison. Now... Now we have Herod has John in prison. And to make a very long story short, Herod is throwing a party. King Herod has got all of his buddies around him and they're drinking together. They're getting drunk together and they decide that they want to step the party up a little bit. So they call for a girl to come in and dance with them. Essentially, they, they invite a stripper into their party where Herod and all of his buddies are drinking. And, and when this happens, the girl um, uh, pleases the king and the king in return says, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and give you a request. Up to half the kingdom, you can have whatever you want, just you name it. He's kind of bragging in front of his friends. And we see that this young girl, this dancer, she already had a plan. In fact, we see in scripture that her and her mother had already discussed the fact that an opportunity like such could happen. And and if she were to find herself in front of the king and she were to dance in front of him and he were to make an offer and say, what do you want? How could I repay you? Then then the mom said, what I want you to do is I want you to ask for John, John the Baptist who's in prison to be murdered. That his head would be cut off and they would deliver his head to you on the platter. Wow, so how's this for getting Memorial Day started, right? We got, we got drunk kings, we got strippers, and we got heads being delivered on platters. That's how we're starting the service off, okay? And we see that this young girl makes this request and says, okay, King Herod, I want John's head on a platter. And we, as we just read there, we see that the king's reluctant. He doesn't want to do it, but he just, he made this promise in front of his friends, and he doesn't want to look bad, so... Finally, he orders that John the Baptist be beheaded. And it's about here in our story where we see the word gets to Jesus' disciples. These were men that were friends with John, men that looked up to John, that loved John. He was, he was another pastor. He was Jesus' cousin. He was, he, he was a prophet. He was teaching. They loved him, and now they just found out that their friend was murdered. So we see that the disciples go and get John the Baptist's body, and they, they bury him as they're mourning. They, they tell Jesus what happened. And that's where we pick the story up in verse 13. Now we see what Jesus does. It says in verse 13, When Jesus heard what had happened, 
he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. And hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. And when Jesus landed and saw the large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. And as evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. And Jesus replied, They did not need to go away. You give them something to eat. We we have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish. He looked up to heaven and gave thanks and broke the loaves. And he gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the people. Now between verses 19 and 20, there's no real details told of what took place in the story here. But obviously something absolutely amazing happened. Something miraculous happens because with just five loaves of bread and two fish, we see in verse 20, it says, They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up, get this, 12 baskets full of broken pieces. That were left. So wait, now how many people ate? Verse 21 says, the number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides the women and children. So here we have this miraculous moment today in the ministry life of Jesus. And I want to take just a moment this morning to make three observations about this passage. Because this passage, I believe aside from the crucifixion, may be the most difficult and most painful time we see in recorded history of Jesus' life. We see Jesus face an incredibly difficult time, and we see what he does through this very difficult time in his life. And I believe that there are things that you and I can pull from this, so that you and I, as we go through difficult times, as we go through emotional pain, we can follow our Savior and do exactly what he did. I don't believe it's an accident that you're here today on this Memorial Day weekend. I believe that God ordained every person that's in this room to be here today because he wants to speak something into you this morning. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for every person that's in this room. We pray right now in Jesus' name that you would get me out of the way and that your Holy Spirit would come and glorify Jesus in this room. And that as we look into this teaching and we start to watch what Jesus did, God, we pray that you would help us understand you more, understand your love more, help us follow you and look more like you. So please be with us in this time that we have together. God, speak to us now. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, growing up in a pastor's home, I had a lot of great opportunities to learn from my father. In fact, one of the things my father did uh, when I was real young is he'd let me sit in on meetings. And it started off where it might just be a counseling appointment where he'd have me sit over in a corner and just kind of listen to what took place in the counseling appointment uh, so that I could understand what took place uh, in an ordinary day of a pastor's life. And I learned a lot I'm incredible things as a, as a young man sitting in his room just listening to one appointment after another. When, as I got a little bit older, maybe around 13, 14, 15 years old, he began letting me sit in on some of the business meeting sides of running a church. And I, I can remember one time in particular, he had a meeting that was taking place with a couple of bankers from here in our town, our, our, our church's attorney, and, and he was sitting there and he let me sit in this room. And I knew I wasn't supposed to speak or anything, but I'm 
I'm sitting in the room and, and, and I'm sitting around the table with this group of guys and I start to recognize that they're all kind of looking at me weird. And, and I had to, to kind of like check myself for a minute and, and I looked at myself and realized why they were looking at me weird is because I had this demeanor about me like I was mad at these people because I'm leaning up on the table. I got one finger in the corner of my mouth. I got my eyebrow furrowed and I'm staring down these bankers. I'm 14 years old, staring down these bankers, and they're looking at me like, what is wrong with this kid? And I kind of, I straightened myself up, and I thought, what am I doing? Why am I postured like this? And I looked around the room, and it didn't take long at all for me to figure out why I was postured like that, because as I looked over to where my father was, my father's leaning up on the table. He's got one finger in the corner of his mouth. His eyebrows are furrowed, and he's in the death stare with this banker here. And quickly, I began to recognize something about myself in this business setting, but I started to recognize it all over the place as I went, wait a minute, subconsciously I was posturing and acting exactly like my father because all I have been doing is watching my father, watching what he does, and now I started doing the same things he was doing without even recognizing it. And before you make fun of me and think, ah, that's weird, we all do it. We, we watch people and we emulate the things that they do. I saw this in my kids. I thought it was so funny. My youngest, Kayla, uh, we were walking through the mall with her. We were in Target and she had these bags of stuff. We're, we're walking through the store and she sees out of the corner of her eyes a pair of high heels up on the shelf that she wanted to see. So she dropped all of her bags right there in the middle of the aisle and kind of gave this little squeak and ran off and she's kicking her shoes off as she's running towards these shoes. She grabs the high heels, flops down on the ground right there in the middle of the store and starts putting these high heel shoes on her feet. And I'm thinking, where did she get this? And then all of a sudden the light bulb went on my head and I went, oh, wait a minute, I've seen this before. And I looked over and I couldn't find my wife. And then I stepped back and I thought, there's an aisle over here where there are women's shoes. And I looked down that aisle and sure enough, there's my wife's purse and there's her bag of clothing and then there's her shoes that she kicked off. And she too was flopped down in the middle of the floor trying on shoes. <laughs> that, this, this child was only doing what she had seen her mother do before. Guys, I get a sense as we've been in this conversation that we started last week about the truth of, about following Jesus is that that's really what following Jesus is all about. Because we complicate what it means to follow Jesus. We try to make it real difficult, but the truth about following Jesus is we simply just watch what Jesus does. That means we get into scripture and we read about the different stories in his ministry here on earth and we see the good times and the bad times. We see him go through struggles. We see him go through triumph and all these different things. We watch what he does and then all of a sudden before you know it, you're starting to emulate what he does. And as you watch someone, before you know it, you've, you've thrown your bags down on the floor and you're flopping down trying shoes on because that's what you've seen others do. And as a follower of Christ, the goal is that we start to do exactly what Jesus did in, in his subconscious now. Now, now it's not like, man, how did you decide you were going to live your life that way? How did you decide you were going to respond that way? And it's, it's not that complicated. I just watched what Jesus does, and then I've watched him so much. I read so much about him. I listen to the leanings of the Holy Spirit. And now I just find myself doing what he does because I keep my eyes on him. That's really what we're talking about when we talk about the truth about following Jesus. And in this passage that we're looking at today, we see 
that Jesus is going through an incredibly difficult time. It's a painful time. It, there's mourning. He, he's, he's hurt emotionally right now. This is his cousin who's been killed, a friend of his who's been killed. You know, someone else who's out there ministering, sharing God's love with other people, and he, he was murdered. And here we see in the middle of Jesus' pain that the first thing that Jesus does in this passage is the Bible says that he withdrew to a solitary place. Isn't that interesting? Because as you read about Jesus, you see that Jesus isn't someone who shies away from difficult times. In fact, when he faced crucifixion, when he gave himself up for you and I, he faced it head on. He went into the most difficult thing that you and I could even imagine, and he faced it head on. But here we see when he's going through emotional trauma, the first thing that your Savior and my Savior does is he withdrew. Mark records the same story, and in Mark it says that he withdrew to a desolate place. He went to go be by himself, and and in doing so, we see that there's a contrast that Mark talks about in the fact that Jesus was normally surrounded by people. In fact, Mark records that there were many times the demand on Jesus' life was so much, there were so many people that needed things from him that many times he would go without even eating food. He would skip meals and his disciples would have to skip meals because they were ministering to so many people. And then the Bible records that he would withdraw. He'd get away by himself Sometimes, sometimes with the disciples, sometimes by himself. And he would do this in times when, when he was hurting emotionally. He'd do this in times when he just needed a break. So here are three observations about this text that I believe can be so practical for your life and for mine. And the first is this, the truth about following Jesus. Number one, following Jesus means to withdraw so you don't give up. Following Jesus means to withdraw so you don't give up. And following Jesus, sometimes you're going to have to withdraw. It wasn't very popular about Jesus, but it was one of the things we see in Scripture over and over again is that this was a regular habit in Jesus' life that he would withdraw. He would withdraw regularly. He'd, he'd get away from all the stresses. He would disconnect, and he would connect with the Father. And in doing so, he would have time to process and time to think and time to heal, a time to mend himself. Sometimes it was in groups of the, in the group of the 12 that, that he'd bring with him. Sometimes it was just him all by himself. But I wonder if I were to ask you the question, where are you withdrawing to regularly? Are you withdrawing regularly? Because something I've learned in my own life and, and what I've seen modeled from men and women around me is that if you're going to live your life on a mission for God, if you're going to see that, that when God calls you as his follower to share the truth of his love with your coworkers and your neighbors and your friends, that means there's going to be days you go into the workplace and you're on your mission field. And you're sharing with other people that Jesus loves you. And Jesus uh, wants to give you the best life possible. He wants to forgive you of your sins. He wants to make a way for you. And in doing so, there's going to be some times that you recognize your life is not about you. You're on a mission. And if you live your life on a mission, then you are going to have to start a habit just like Jesus did of withdrawing regularly. And if you don't start that habit, then what I've seen in so many people's lives is if you don't withdraw regularly, eventually you're going to quit. What's interesting is Jesus himself, God with skin on, needed margins. 
He, he needed room. He needed time to get away. The Bible says he often went through, and you might argue in this, in looking at this passage and go, yeah, he tried to withdraw, but, but we see that a crowd surrounded him. He didn't even get a chance to withdraw. Well, if you read later on in the text, you see that Jesus did find time to be by himself. It was, an, it was a regular, consistent habit of Jesus' life that he would withdraw regularly. And I wonder, when was the last time that you disconnected? When was the last time that you took a, st- a step back and, and realized that, you know what, you're not God and, and the, the world's still going to be here tomorrow. You're still going to have problems. You're still going to have victories tomorrow. So, so maybe I can just disconnect today and I can think and I can process and I can talk to God today. Kenny Chesney has a new song and it's called Noise. And really the premise of the song is all about the fact that you and I live in a world where we are inundated by so much outside stimulus. There's so much noise, so much opinion, so much going on, and it poses the question, when do you and I ever have time to get away and think and process? Because if you don't ever take the time to get away and think and process, then, then eventually you're going to find yourself wanting to quit. And see, there's a huge difference between withdrawing quitting and escaping and if you don't disconnect if you don't withdraw regularly like Jesus did then there's going to be the temptations in life where you're so tired you just want to quit or worse than that where you act like you're still in it but then you have these dark secret moments of escape that really you hope no one ever finds out about can I be honest with you I I believe that pornography is not always about lust. I believe many times pornography is more about escape than it is lust. Because you see your responsibilities and see I'm too tied in, I'm too invested into my job, I can't quit my job, I'm too tied into these relationships, I can't leave my my family and I'm exhausted and I wanna quit and since I can't quit, then, then we just look for a place to escape. And yet we see that our Savior Jesus himself, God was skin on. He, he had every resource that we even know about at his fingertips. And we see he regularly had to take time to get off by himself and withdraw. I wonder if that's true about our Jesus and our Savior. Then how much more is that true about you? Are you taking time to withdraw? Are you taking time to disconnect? There, there's some of you in this room that that you're here today and you're right on the edge of quitting. And our culture will teach you that, that, that the way to not quit is to just not quit. But can I give you a little insight into the ways of Jesus? Can I encourage you that if our Jesus, his plan was not to just not quit, his plan was to withdraw regularly so that he'd be refueled and re-energized and have what he needed to get through the difficult times, that, that if that's what our Jesus wants, then can I encourage you before you quit, would you try withdrawing? When was the last time you withdrew? When was the last time you disconnected? It's interesting because we've joked about it in the past that, that Omelie loves it when I go hunting. And I've made the jokes about the fact that, yeah, she just wants a couple of days of me not pestering her. And, and that's probably true. But she's told me she loves it when I go hunting because she recognizes when I, it's not about the hunting, it's about me disconnecting and spending some time talking with God alone in the mountains. In those times when I come back, she knows I'm, I'm coming back as a better husband. I'm coming back as a better father, as a better friend, as a better pastor. We need those times to disconnect. 
So as we see Jesus in pain, the first thing we learn from this is that following Jesus means to withdraw so you don't give up. And then the story goes on, and we see that Jesus, he's trying to withdraw. He's getting away on vacation, and and at the most inconvenient time you could imagine, now there's a huge crowd that shows up on his vacation wanting to be ministered to. They wanted a meeting with Jesus. Could you imagine what that'd be like? Like, you're trying to get away from your in-laws. You want a break, so you get on a plane. You fly to Hawaii, and your in-laws are sitting in the airport in Hawaii. Like, are you kidding me? I'm trying to get a break from you. (laughs) Well, here we see that Jesus, see, he's trying to go on vacation. He's trying to get the disciples away. We need time to rest and relax. And and the Bible says as he saw them, he was moved, moved beyond his own pain with compassion for them. And he began to heal them. So the truth about following Jesus, number one, means to withdraw so you don't give up. Number two, following Jesus means being moved beyond your own personal pain. Being moved beyond your personal pain. See, every person in this room has incredible personal pain that we've gone through. Some of you are going through it right now. Every one of us in this room, in fact, you would, it would blow your mind if, if when you came in today, you probably had someone shake your hand and greet you. It would blow your mind if you knew the struggles that they've gone through this last week. If you looked up here on the stage and you saw the praise singers, it would blow your mind if you knew the difficulties that they went through this week. When you dropped your kids off back there in kids' church and, and you're handing them over to these men and women back there that are serving your kids right now, as you talk to these security officers that are here on our property, it would blow your mind if you knew the difficulty and the pain that each and every one of them are going through. But what we see in all of these men and women who are serving here at our church is they've grabbed onto this principle that Jesus was teaching his disciples and that sometimes you need to move beyond your pain and serve other people in the midst of your pain. And I'm not saying this to uh, try to make light of any pain because I know we could pass the microphone around this room and I know there are incredible difficulties that, that are represented in this room. In, in fact, there are, are times when you go through incredibly difficult seasons and go through emotional trauma where you need to take some time to yourself. You need to withdraw. You need to heal. But there comes a point in your life where I wonder We're all faced with this challenge. Would you allow Jesus to do to you what what he had done to himself and what he taught the disciples to do, and that was to move beyond your own pain and begin serving other people in the midst of your pain? See, when you go through pain, though, you don't want to hear stuff like this. When you're going through pain, you come in and you think, wait a minute, I'm going through a difficult time, and I want... I want God to heal me in my pain. I want him to get me out of my pain. I'm following Jesus so he'll get me out of my pain. In fact, um, sometimes, sometimes, Jesus will take the pain that you're going through and allow you to go through it so that that can be a catalyst on which he can help you minister to other people. There are some of you that are going through incredibly difficult times, and may I just go on record to say this might be the most effective time in your life as well. Because sometimes God uses that very pain. Are you saying God causes my pain? No, but, but he can use the pain that you're going through to do wonderful things in your life. So you might come in here today and you're like, no, I, no, I want to hear, 
I want to hear the, the preacher pump me up today. I'm coming in here and I hope he'll say something like, man, you're in the valley right now, but you're not going to stay in the valley. Like, you're going to make it. You might not be all right right now, but you're going to be all right. You know, though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil. And like, pump me up. And yet you come in today and you're like, wait a minute, is the pastor actually saying, did I get out of bed on Memorial Day weekend to come in here and hear the pastor say, wait, God wants to use your pain. I don't want God to use my pain. I want, I want him to take it away. I want to forget it. I want to ignore it. I want to get rid of it. See, if I can be honest with you, there's been quite a few Sundays that I stood up here and if I was honest, I wish someone else was standing up here pumping me up. I wish someone else was like, tell me a funny joke. Tell me I'm going to make it because right now I'm struggling, you know? But one of the things I've learned in my walk with God is many times it's in the middle of that pain. It's in the middle of the difficult time that, that when I can cooperate with God and allow him to move me beyond my own personal pain, those are the times that I can be the absolute most effective in ministering to other people. And I'm here to encourage you today because for some of you, God might be whispering into your heart today that, he wants to move you beyond your own personal pain. He wants to move you beyond this place of the struggle that's going on on the inside and start to use that as something that you can begin to minister to other people with those exact same circumstances that have been, in your opinion, holding you back for so long. And that's where we see the disciples. We see that they're exhausted. We see that they're hurting. Think about this for a minute. They're, they want to go on vacation. Jesus is like, let's get out of here. We need a break. We need some time to heal. And they go on vacation, and now this group of people shows up, and they want a meeting with Jesus, and Jesus is ministering to them, and now i got to minister to them. And you can see that they want this to end, and they want to get some break because they start this conversation with Jesus. And they're like, Jesus, um, we're in a remote place. There ain't any food any out here. It's like getting late. How about you send these people out of here so we can get this vacation going and we can get some rest, all right? And we see this because Jesus says, no, no, don't send them away. I want you to feed them. And immediately they have statistics on why they shouldn't be the ones to do it. Ever thought about this? Like, which one of them actually had this information? Why did they go prepared when they went to Jesus? And, and they're like, okay, Jesus, you should send these people away. We don't have food. And he's like, no, you feed them. And instantly someone already knows. They're like, no, we only have five loaves of bread and two fish, it's not enough, send them away. It's an impossibility, send them away. Because they're tired. And see, I think what they wanted to say when Jesus was like, no, you feed the people, I think what they wanted to say was no. But they're smarter than that. So they said, oh, Jesus, we lack the food, we lack the resources, but we totally would. <laughs> right? I would do this, Jesus, but I, I just don't have enough. And Jesus says, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to give me the little bit that you do have. And that brings me to the third observation here we see in this text. Now, following Jesus, number one, means to withdraw so you don't give up. Number two, following Jesus means being moved beyond your personal pain. And in this story, we see that following Jesus means giving what you have today. 
giving what you have today. It's interesting. Do you notice that the focus, the, the word of emphasis that came out of the disciples' mouth is the word only? We only have five loaves of bread and two fish. We only have a little bit. It's not enough. And, and, and since it's not enough, uh, since we only have this little, we're not going to do anything with it. Why don't you just send these people away? And what Jesus showed them in this moment and what he shows every one of us who are his followers is he says, how about this? How about you give me the little that you do have and you watch what I can do with it? Just take that little bit that you do have and watch what I can do with it. I gotta tell you, I, I'm, I, I don't like giving gifts. I don't like the drama that comes with it. I should clarify. I, I do love giving gifts, okay? I, I like get ready for my family's birthdays and Christmas and stuff like that. I'm ready weeks in advance. But I don't like the drama that comes with actually giving the gift because I'm one of these people that I feel the obligation to give the disclaimers of why the gift isn't good enough. So like, I don't know if you do this too, but uh, like I'll, I'll save up, I'll get a gift and then I'll, I'll give it to someone and as they're open and I start going, oh see, I didn't know if you'd want the black one or the red one, so I went with the blue one and I don't know if you like that, I don't know if it's the right size and in fact, I put the receipt in there so you can just take it, but you don't even have, you know what, don't even try it on, just take it back, I know you're not even going to like it. It's like I get, I get all this drama. I'm like, no, you don't, you don't have to take a picture of yourself wearing it and send it to me. No, that's just, that's, that like, st no strings attached. I, I, like, I'm afraid of the drama that goes with giving someone a gift. And, and I realize that this is something that I start, have started doing with God. Yeah, like, I want to give him a gift, but since I don't have anything that is worthy of giving to God, that sometimes I just think, well, I guess I'm not going to give him anything. I think once, once I have enough, then I'm going to give to him. When, when I'm in my 50s, then I'm going to be able to give him some more of my time. When, when I have a little more money, when I'm wealthier, then I'll be able to give more of him. Once, once I have a little more education, then I'm going to be able to serve him more. And, it, and it's like we, we think since my gift's not good enough, I'm just not going to do anything. And yet what we see in this passage with a group of men who are hurting and broken and their resources are way too little, they said, God, we don't have enough. We only have this little bit. What Jesus does is he says, give me what you do have. Take that little bit that you have right now, the, the only that's not enough, and bring it to me. Do you know that in Scripture, there's never a promise about grace for tomorrow? That we have hope for tomorrow. We have a future for tomorrow. God has a plan for us for tomorrow. And we have forgiveness for the past. But the Bible expresses to us that we have grace for today. That God has given you grace for what you have in your hand right now. Not what you will have, but what you have right now. Matthew 6, 34, Jesus is speaking. He says, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has its uh, has enough trouble of its own. You watch and through the narrative of scripture, you'll see that, that Jesus is a right now God. He's a today God. He's a what's in your hand right now. And it's, it's in contrast to what we want to do as his followers as we come back with the same excuse the disciples have and we say, well, I only have this. I only have five minutes. I can't give them two hours a day to, to read the Bible. I, I only have five minutes. I, I only have 
I, I can't give them more than that. That's, that's all I have. Or I only have a broken story and some pain. I only have a, a past that I'm not proud of. And we, we, it's like we try to disqualify ourselves from being used by God. Like, we're, like we have this assumption that somehow we're going to give something to God and God's going to be like, no, that's not enough. Your five loaves of bread and two fish, that's not enough for me. Your five minutes that you want to give me, that's not enough for me. No, we see the Jesus we love and serve. He says, take that only, take that little bit that you do have and bring it to me and watch what I can do in your life with it. Take that five minutes. If it's only five minutes, take it and give it to me and watch the miracle that I can make happen out of your five minutes. Take your broken story and watch what I can do with that. Would you bow your heads with me? I do believe that there's some of you in this room that you're trying to disqualify yourself because of your pain, because of your lack of resources. And God wants you to hear today that you're not disqualified and he's never disqualified you. He simply wants you to bring to him that little bit that you have. And I dare you today, I, could you imagine what would your life look like if you took that little bit that you have and you offered it to Jesus? When the disciples offered that little bit to Jesus, their, their whole community was changed. 5,000 men plus the women and children, there could have been 10,000 people out there today, were fed and changed by the little bit that they had. But then we see that the Bible says that there were 12 baskets of leftovers. Not only did it affect their community and affect the people around them when they brought the little bit that they had to Jesus, but when Jesus takes the little bit that you give him, he always gives you back more. You always receive more when, when you trust the little bit that you have into Jesus' hands. I believe that there's some of you in this room that this might be a message you need to store away for later because you're not going through any difficulties right now. But I do believe in this room that there are some people here that you're going through some difficult times. And, and I believe that there's an encouragement in God's word for you today that maybe you need to start a lifestyle of withdrawing so that you don't quit. Start a lifestyle of withdrawing so that you don't look for escapes that will destroy your life. Maybe God is encouraging you today to move beyond your pain and start ministering to other people with that circumstance that God has taken you through. I'm not saying God caused your circumstance, but there are some of you that have gone through some horrible divorces. You've gone through some tragedies. You've gone through the loss of loved ones, and, and you can use those things. It doesn't just have to be all loss. God can redeem that pain and use it to help other people. For all of us in this room that have gotten stuck with this lie of, well, it's not good enough for me to give to God, be encouraged that God just wants you to take the little bit that you have and he wants to blow your mind with it. Heavenly Father, I thank you for every person in this room and I thank you for the fact that you love us enough that you want to make our lives better, that you want us to be emotionally healthy, you want us to be strengthened and, and, and encouraged, you want us to take the pain that we go through and encourage other people and then God, you want to take what we have and you want to blow our minds with it. So God, that's my prayer for every person in this room. Would you blow our minds? Would you take the, the little bit that we can offer you and make it so, 
so much more. Thank you, God, for your love. Thank you that as we continue to talk about following you, you continue to give us opportunities to do so. So this next week, we pray that you would help us represent you everywhere we go, in the grocery store, in the workplace, on the side of the soccer field. God, help us to look like you everywhere we go. Bless each and every person here. And it's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. Love you guys. I hope you have a very restful and wonderful holiday. See you next week.